Every time a missile misses its target, a train derails, or a faulty airbag fails to save a life, we wonder whether these failures, which can sometimes reach catastrophic proportions, are caused by a counterfeit part that may have infiltrated the supply chain. Welcome to People to People, working together for your safety with host Stan Salat, Jr., Stan has the answers to your questions on protecting yourself and the safety of your loved ones, including your pets. Don't miss out. Now, here is Stan Salat. Hello, and welcome to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Stan Salat, Jr., and I'd like to welcome you all to today's show, Products, Product Marks That You Can Trust. We have a number of websites that I'd like to share with you just quickly, and one of the first ones is the www.hsf.us, that stands for Hazardous Substance Free, uh, .us. It's one of our sites that addresses how to mark products or how to uh, find products that are marked and uh, trustworthy of uh, being hazardous of, subs- of hazardous substances. We also have counterfeitavoidance.org, spelled out fully. That one addresses all things counterfeit. The ECCCorporation.org, ECCCorp.org, that's the association that backs all this, both nationally and internationally. Our sponsor, BQPM.com, how to get things done. That uh, is where people go to find help to either implement uh, hazardous substance-free or counterfeit programs. TUV.com. My guest today is Lisa Greenleaf, who I'll be introducing here just shortly, and then ThompsonCoburn.com, the second guest that I'll be introducing, uh, Mr. James Berger. Our show is divided into four segments. In the first segment, we'll address hazardous substances and everyday products that you buy and use. The second segment, we will address counterfeit material and really going to be an exciting show today. Uh, Mr. Berger, Jim, is really in the thick of it. He's working right up there on Capitol Hill and knows what we need to know in order to address counterfeit materials. And we'll talk about that more in the uh, second segment. How it affects life-critical products. Then we'll talk about legal issues surrounding HS and uh, hazardous substance and counterfeit avoidance. We wrap up the show with a Q&A and tips on how you can ensure your safety. We'll be speaking with my guest, as I said, and let's start that right now with the uh, Extremely talented and uh, hard to tell that she actually has 25 years of experience in this business, Miss Lisa Greenleaf. Lisa is with the North American Business Stream. Actually, Lisa is the North American Business Stream Manager at TUV in Rhineland, North America, and as I said, 25 years of management experience in quality assurance. I'm going to bring Lisa on now and let her... Give us a little more information on what TUV Rhineland is all about. Lisa. Thanks, Dan. That was a great introduction. We've been, uh, we've been friends for quite a while now, and it's great working with you, so thanks for having me on today. Uh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> TUV Rhineland uh, is actually based in Cologne, Germany. We've been around for a while, about 140 years or so. Um, we do product testing and certification 
with offices around the world in 65 countries in 500 locations. We do product testing of everything from uh, the, the companies bring to market. Um, I manage the certification division, and basically what we do is the system auditing. So we've been doing that since 1987 and assessing companies to standards such as ISO 9001, QC 080000, which is the hazardous substance process management standard that we're talking a little bit about today. Um, we've, we're, a, we're one of the largest international registrars. We've got over 65,000 certificates issued worldwide. And um, one of the ways that we'd like to differentiate ourselves is because we have a great customer retention rating um, is that we sort of try to provide a value-added partner approach to our audits and uh, really work with giving our clients value-added feedback. Very good, Lisa. As you mentioned, and for our audience, uh, Lisa and I have worked together on and off at, uh, in various things now for many years. We won't count them. Like I said, it's hard to tell that uh, she's got that much experience looking at her, so I'll leave that alone for a moment. Uh, Third-party certification. It's a process that verifies that a manufacturer, in this case we're talking about a manufacturer, is actually doing what they say they do. In that regard, I would also mention that Lisa, in addition to her management, she has done numerous assessments around the world for on companies that manufacture things and was, in fact, one of the first two assessors qualified to do hazardous substance process management program that we started back in 2005 time frame to allow manufacturers to demonstrate that they were actually producing products that were free of lead, cadmium, hexylvania chromate, and so forth. With that said, uh, Lisa, if you would, kind of give us a feel for what that process assessment is all about and, and how it helps uh, a manufacturer demonstrate their compliance and how that translates into something valuable for our listening audience. Sure, I'd be glad to. So um, the audit process uh, basically is a third-party um, companies such as TUV Rhineland coming in and reviewing, as you said, what the company's processes and procedures are um, and against what they're actually doing, what their practices are. And we're trying to confirm a number of things. First of all, that they're doing what they say that they're doing and that by doing that, they're res- resulting in effective, um, they're having an effective output of their product and good quality product. Um, in the 80s, you used to have a term inspecting the quality in, and you can't think about what the quality of your product is by trying to sort it at the end of the line. You really have to build processes that are solid and defined in procedures and people being trained and using um, good calibrated equipment and so forth to get repeatability across the board and to get consistency across the board. And by doing an evaluation against that, um, a company sets up their system such that they have those systems in place. We evaluate them, and instead of trying to inspect the quality at the end of the line, they're building the quality into the product as they go. When it comes See, to hazards... Oops. Uh, you, you were just going where I was going to take you, so fine, keep going. 
<laughs> hazardous substance. When it comes to hazardous substance, it's it's a similar concept. In um, especially since the Rose and Wees directive, you um, you can't try to rely on testing at the end of the line when you've built product to try to keep um, to get your good results and keep the hazardous substance um, out of the product. You really need to build processes that are effective and monitored. Effective being probably the most important thing. You, you, companies may have made the mistake in the past of trying to keep things segregated and separate. And when you try to keep things separate and you're not maintaining a, a systematic approach to things, um, the, you lose the consistency and you lose the ability to re, be repeatable in the product and making sure that when you build product that you're installing confidence um, in in what the product is representing when it's shipped and that it has that integrity. So the hazardous yeah. substance standard it evaluates. Right. It evaluates that. It seems hard to take the lead back out. It's kind of like taking sugar out of a cake mix after you've baked the cake, it seems like. Yeah, that's a good way of thinking about it. it you know, if you hadn't thought about it in advance and you hadn't really planned your system such that you didn't have those things available to you or you had them well controlled, then absolutely, um, when you get to the end, you can't think about the fact that you had the sugar in the cake and how you're going to track, how you're going to track it. Right. Yeah, that was, that was one of the uh, early issues, as I recall, when you started doing assessments, companies would put in place all the right things. They test the product at the end of the production process they would find it to be compliant, but then when they actually got into production, things kind of went awry. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with something like a rye bread, but just... <laughs> just I, think, uh, I think Stan's hungry. <laughs> yeah, it must be. Right. So, so having a third party like, like TV Ryland come in and conduct those audits gives you confidence in the product that the company is producing, that the product is repeatable, consistent, and in this case, um, it, it's meeting the rows and weeds requirements, and they've got good, solid processes in place to ensure that they're managing the hazardous substances that may or may not be part of their process and how they're building their product. And just for the, for the sake of our audience that aren't up on our acronyms, which you and I are extremely good at using, uh, what is a rose? Rose is the restriction of hazardous substance. It's the it's one of the European directives around product that ships into the EU, and it right. restricts a number of different hazardous substances um, and and the volume of their content in the product as it's going into the EU. Right, and that that was initially put in place back in uh, 2003. It actually started, as I recall, and then 2006 is when it went into full enforcement. And we is not uh, not something that the little piggy said on the way home. It was really waste, I believe, waste electrical, electronic, and equipment. Right, and it's it's about recycling that. When, the, when you're building electronics equipment and you're shipping it, that it has the ability to be recycled. Right. Actually, that's the, it, it's an interesting topic all on its own, and it's one that we're actually going to touch on a little bit with my next guest. Uh, and it has to do with while recycling is a fantastic thing, 
something that we should all be doing more of. Uh, it does lend us lend to having a lot of used product that somehow finds its way back into the marketplace and not always the way you expected it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll actually pick that up with uh, with Mr. Berger when he comes on. But from an auditing point of view, when you're out looking, we itself is about recycling. Since the manufacturer is making new products, uh, how does recycle come into that? Are, are they just recycling their own things back, the, the things they don't use, or is there more to it than that? And unfortunately, we don't have much time, so this, this one... We'll need to address quickly. <laughs> uh, it, it's really about managing the processes that they're using to build the product, and by having control of and knowing what the substances are that are in the product, um, it can. You, there's a lot more control over when they have electric, electronic, and electrical waste, um, and they're put in recycling areas that they're being recycled with like metals and things like that. Okay. So it's not enough just to build it. Nowadays, you actually have to think about the whole life cycle. And as I understand it, your assessment process actually goes through the organization looking at what they, what they say they do, what they actually do. And by demonstrating that they're doing that, we as the consumers, whether it be an industrial consumer or an individual consumer, we can go buy that toy with confidence if we know that they've they've been certified. That's true. And and just to go back to the ROSE Directive for just a minute, Stan, um, one of the things that the ROSE Directive specifically requires of a company is to have a conformance assessment system, a CAS it's referred to. And one of the things that being certified does is it provides the foundation and the infrastructure for building that conformity system so that a company can do it in a very systematic organized, structured way, and again, going back to that, repeatable results and making sure that when they have that end product, that like you said, as a consumer, we can have the confidence in the products that we're buying, that they are waste, um, I'm sorry, lead-free and Rojas, meaning the Rojas directives. Yeah, very good. Well, thank you very much, Lisa. I greatly appreciate you taking some time with us today. Uh, look forward to uh, talking with you more in the future. Um, any any last quick comments before I we take a break and uh, move on to uh, talking with Mr. Berger? Just in general, uh, the value of accredited certification and making sure that when you're using a certification body that you're looking for someone who has been accredited by um, an internationally recognized source such as, in our case, ANAB, um, that gives you that level of confidence of the integrity of the process. And that's really important as well. Okay. You're absolutely right. The American National Accreditation Body is uh, our U.S. accreditation body. Thank you, Lisa. And I look forward to talking to you more. As I said, perhaps we'll get you back on to another show. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'm going to have Mr. James Berger. Um, attorney at law, somebody that I am absolutely sure you will want to listen to understand what's going on in Washington and how it affects us as consumers. Uh, We'll be right back.
stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Did you know that hazardous substances and counterfeit material can be in everything we buy? From new clothing, cars, toys, power cords, and charging units, to your garden hose and the drywall in your home. Did you know that many of these toxins or counterfeits have been found to cause infertility, birth defects, autism, obesity, and diabetes, which can be passed down from parents to children? It's nearly impossible to know the ingredients in these products, yet Stan Salat Jr., author and creator of the not-for-profit HSF Mark Alliance and Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance, believes that consumers have the right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in the products we buy. Are you a retailer, a manufacturer, a manager, and a person who cares about the safety of the products you sell and buy? Protect your assets, your job, and your family now. Tell Stan that you want his help. Contact BQPM today. Visit our website at www.bqpm.com or call toll-free 877-415-0191. BQPM.com. Together, we are working for your safety. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have a nationally known guests that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific. Pacific time here on voiceamerica.com. Okay. Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear? Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. This is People to People, working for your safety. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to stan.salat at ecccorp.org. Again, that's stan.salat, S-A-L-O-T, at ecccorp.org. Now, back to People to People. Welcome back to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Stan Salat, Jr., and like to welcome you again to today's show, Product Marks You Can Trust. We just uh, spent a few minutes with Lisa Greenleaf from TUV Rhineland, uh, a third-party certification body that assesses companies for their compliance to hazardous substance management or process management to ensure their customers that they're selling and uh, providing hazardous substance-free parts and materials, products, my next guest is Mr. James M. Berger, better known as Jim. Uh, 
And Jim comes to us. Uh, he's a partner at Thompson Coburn LLP. I want to share a couple of quick things with you. Jim's going to be with us for uh, two segments today, but Jim has represented semiconductor companies before Congress, the White House, Homeland Security, Defense, Treasury Departments on third on the uh, anti-counterfeiting issues. If there's anybody that I can think of that understands the problems we face with counterfeiting, it is Jim. And I'm going to uh, jump right in here, Jim, and, and turn the table over to you, or turn the microphone, rather, over to you. Uh, talk to us. Tell us a little bit, if you would, about uh, Thompson Coburn LLP and what you specialize in, and then let's start talking about that nasty thing called counterfeit. Sure. Thanks for having me on, Stan. I appreciate it. Um, Thompson Coburn is a national law firm. We have offices here in Washington, D.C., St. Louis, Chicago, and Los Angeles. And it's a general practice firm. I belong to two groups. You could call me schizophrenic. Um, I'm in the intellectual property group. I'm, my specialty has is, is been copyright, but also trademark and the counterfeiting issue. Uh, and I'm also in the lobbying policy group, so I kind of span those two groups. And, of course, it makes sense for somebody in Washington, although today there are very few people who can go lobbying with the government shutdown. My, so my, uh, <laughs> you, you used a term there, makes sense, and you're talking about Washington. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, listen, you know, that, that might... Stan, as I said yesterday, Washington's a city surrounded by a beltway and turned surrounded by reality. It's a very, right. very strange environment, and, and my story on counterfeiting, I think, represents that strangeness. Yes. Now, let's let's talk a little bit about that strangeness, if you would. Well, let me start from the beginning, which is, you know, the, the hidden power around us, surrounding us, and all sorts of things, and it's only going to get worse, are semiconductors. Your yes. automobile has more computing power in it than the Apollo moonshot. There are engine controls, anti-lock brake controls, traction controls, the audio entertainment system, the airbag deployment system are all dependent on semiconductors working well. And they're in all sorts of other gear. They're in your, you know, commercial airplanes, they're in government, and, and most importantly, they're in military products. For example, the newest fighter, the F-35, has over 2,500 semiconductors in it. And those need to work right, or you've got a problem. It was interesting. Lisa was talking earlier about quality control across the line. So let me tell you how our industry, the semiconductor industry, makes these tiny little chips. I mean, you have to understand, these chips are, the actual chips themselves, the integrated circuits are smaller than your pinky nail, yet they have the equivalent of the roadmap of the world etched on them. They're, they're amazing. So we yes. build these billion-dollar plants with ultra-clean facilities because a flake of dandruff could, could kill one of these chips until All they're right. put into a package. We make the wafers, then we slice them up into the tiny integrated circuits and seal them hermetically in, into, into these packages. And then finally, the packages are tested electronically for consumer goods and very strict environmentally for military spec chips, which are marked differently. And then we mark the chips with our trademark, of course, the product number, and then product codes. And that is a very expensive, carefully done process. The handling is, is done in very, very strict controls so there's no static electricity you know when you rub your feet against the floor and you touch the wall and see that spark or touch your little sister or little brother 
the amps. Um, <laughs> it, it's 50,000 volts. Now, the amperage is very low, but that 50,000 right. volts will fry an, a sophisticated integrated circuit. So these are made very, very carefully in the United States. As Lisa said, quality across the line. Right. It's critical. And as an engineer involved in that process, uh, one, I love the fact that there's so many semiconductors used, electronics used around uh, in products. Uh, at the same time, I recognize what you're saying, and I, I trust that many of our uh, listeners do as well. Well, that's good. I mean, it's it's amazing even to me that I learned that, that the dry, Joint Strike Force Task Fighter has so many semiconductors in it. And, and indeed, I was um, you know saddened very much by the shootings here in Washington, the Navy Yard, because I was in that building not too long ago lecturing to the Naval Sea System Command. And when we get to the next part about how the, quote, counterfeits are, quote, made, you, you'll understand why he got upset. But um, one of the, I was talking to people who are in charge of Naval Sea System commands. They make, maintain, and destroy the boats that the Navy has. They're all in charge of boats. And I gave this lecture about counterfeit ships and the problems. He came up after and said, I'm really frightened. And I said, well, I understand we should be frightened, but why specifically? I'm, gener- I'm designing the next generation submarine. It's all going to be fly-by-wire, all dependent on, on semiconductors. If there are counterfeits in there that fail while the ship's underwater, we may never see it again and not know why. So these, oh. these, little, these little tiny brains are responsible for protecting us, frankly. Yes, they absolutely are. So your, your activities uh, in Washington, uh, I, I assume that you've tried to help uh, those in power, those in uh, well, <laughs> positions of, of control Let, to understand say, what... Yes, I've tried to, tried to get them to understand. But let, me, let me hit the second problem so okay. you'll understand why we're lobbying these folks on Capitol Hill and in the White House and DHS, etc. Um, is where are these counterfeits coming from? They're not being manufactured. There aren't, generally speaking, there's some, but generally speaking, there aren't these plants in China which are turning out fake chips. They're, we're actually supplying the chips indirectly. Lisa was talking about recycling of waste. That's so important. Right. And in the, in the computer business, we have, unfortunately or fortunately, we're developing new models all the time of everything. Nobody wants a three-year-old computer or printer or server. So they're trashed. And they should be recycled and recycled responsibly, just as Lisa was talking about, particularly semiconductors because they have rare earths and gold and silver in them, but it turns out that it's more profitable to sell the junk, and this was a 60-minute show demonstrated this, much more profitable to send it to Chinese re- reprocessors, and I use that term loosely. So what do they do? Right. They strip apart these servers and computers and pull out the boards. Then they go to little backyard factories. Um, I've got two bad radio. I've got pictures of some of them where little old men and women who probably aren't that old are sitting over open flames, flaming the boards to melt the solder knocking the chips out, then they're taken and they're scraped on, uh, on, on boards to remove the top coating, which has the codes in it. They acid wash the leads, which is really dangerous because acid could leak into the package and over time short out the semiconductor, particularly at a critical moment. Then they're washed, literally, Stan, i got a picture here, they're washed in the local stream. And yes. It's just it's unbelievable. Then they get sophisticated and they re-top coat. They put the material back on that they scraped off, and they, then they have a laser, and they 
laser on the product number. Usually, it's usually they put on a newer number or they put on mil spec to a consumer chip. Or, you know, it's, it's just, it's horrible because these chips have been through environmental hell. They've been used already. Now they're marking them as if they're new and selling them to criminal brokers in the United States. Now, where, where we come in, where I came in, was trying to get customs to work with us. I don't know if you're ready for this part of the story yet, or you have some questions, Dan. Uh, well, it, let me let me toss in here a couple of quick things, uh, just to kind of round that that piece of what you've shared. I've been there and I've seen this. Uh, I've traveled around the world many times doing different things, and if you go to China, you'll see what Jim's talking about. If you go to India, you'll also see it. Uh, you can find similar activities in Africa. You'll find some of the same issues being done in Mexico. And as as we're talking, the reality is that we created this thing called recycling for all the right reasons. I also have had the opportunity, and I'm not sure, Jim, if, if you're aware of this, but in talking with some folks who do this uh, harvesting is what I call it, uh, the harvesting of used materials from fields full of uh, waste, recycled uh, recycled waste that's been piled up out in the fields. Uh, those harvesters look at it and they say, well, we watched your reality TV show where somebody took this rusted old uh, Mustang, this 1960-something <laughs> Mustang, and they made it look brand new, and instead of it selling for you know, sixteen, eighteen hundred dollars when it was new. Now somebody's buying it for a million dollars. Yeah, except you know the difference here is that many of those people who are restoring cars are doing right. it with love and doing it carefully, and you know putting all the safety materials back in. They're not sort of right. just taking you know baling wire and chewing gum and putting it together. They really are spending a lot of time and money. This is not the case with the counterfeit semiconductors. Um, right, you know they're they're in no way the equivalent of a new chip because they're usually old chips. I mean, you can't you can't go inside and re- redo the the lines on the semiconductor. That's physically impossible, even even with our billion dollar plants, let alone with a backyard factory in China. Um, yes, and I think that's the point I was trying to make here is that there's two sides of this. One is that we. We have been telling folks in many ways how to turn something that you have into a lot of value. Uh, and I've talked now about some of our own reality shows. Uh, but at the same time, we also look at what we have and what we're doing around the world. And then we have this whole other part of the discussion that you and I are going to have about, you know, how do we manage it? What are we not doing or what are we doing to manage it? Yeah, and, and, and that is a multi-level effort. And it's important to keep in mind that no one piece of this will solve the puzzle. But we're trying to work on all efforts. And, and today I'm mostly talking about the problem with our own government. Right. You know, it, it is. It, it, this is a serious problem. Um, that one of the head of Naval Re- Air Systems Research Command said he believes that 15 percent of all the spare and replacement microchips the Pentagon buys are counterfeits. They've had field failures with their weapon systems, and he's cer- almost certain that these fake parts have contributed to serious accidents. 
this is a real problem. And, you know, what I want to focus on is how do we stop these at the border? But more importantly, how do we identify the counterfeit? And I really think these people are evil, and we'll talk a little bit about them if we have time, Stan, who are knowingly buying these fake chips from China and selling them knowing that they're going into life-critical applications. Um, I don't know how you want to parse it out, where you want to go, but I'm happy to keep going. Okay. Um, let's do this. Let, let's take a uh, brief break, and when we come back, let's talk about that second part of this, uh, and as well as what are the laws, and equally important, what do we do? What what call to action do we need to have here that takes us out of this deadlock, uh, go nowhere except know that we have a problem and figure out what to do with it? Great. Uh, if, you, if you're okay, then let's go ahead and do that. We'll take a, a short break here when I come back. Jim and I will discuss, uh, mostly Jim here will share with us his thoughts on what we can do to help improve the counterfeit issue that Quite honestly, it's our sons and daughters, our sisters, our brothers. Uh, when you look at life-critical military applications, which we know has been reported as a $6 billion problem with over a million parts in inventory that are suspect counterfeit. If I what can say, gonna... one, if I say one thing, Stan, we talk about our sons and daughters. It affects us, too. But in my view, it's bad enough we send these wonderful young people into harm's way but to send them into harm's way with weapon systems and communication systems that may fail at a critical time because of a counterfeit part is criminal. Absolutely. And and let's let's take a break now and let's pick up on that very subject when we come back. Thank you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Did you know that hazardous substances and counterfeit material can be in everything we buy? From new clothing, cars, toys, power cords, and charging units, to your garden hose and the drywall in your home. Did you know that many of these toxins or counterfeits have been found to cause infertility, birth defects, autism, obesity, and diabetes, which can be passed down from parents to children? It's nearly impossible to know the ingredients in these products, yet Stan Salat Jr., author and creator of the not-for-profit HSF Mark Alliance and Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance, believes that consumers have the right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in the products we buy. Are you a retailer, a manufacturer, a manager, and a person who cares about the safety of the products you sell and buy? Protect your assets, your job, and your family now. Tell Stan that you want his help. Contact BQPM today. Visit our website at www.bqpm.com or call toll-free 877-415-0191. BQPM.com. Together, we are working for your safety. 
The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is People to People, working for your safety. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to stan.salat at eccorp.org. Again, that's stan.salat, S-A-L-O-T, at eccorp.org. Now, back to People to People. Hello, and welcome back to People to People, working together for your safety. I'm your host, Dan Salat, Jr., and I'm joined today with uh, James M. Berger, Thompson Coburn, LLP. James is an attorney, works up in uh, Washington, D.C. We've been talking uh, initially about a little bit of hazardous substance management. How do we keep lead and mercury, cadmium, and other such hazardous substances out of products and what we can do to uh, trust the products we do buy? And then we started talking with James about counterfeit avoidance and the counterfeit issue, actually what I call a counterfeit pandemic. It's a worldwide problem. I'm going to bring James back on, and James has some absolutely uh, mind-boggling, I guess is the term I'll use, reality to what's going on, and I'm going to let him share that with us starting right now. James? Thank you, Stan. And let me start by saying the key element in all this in identifying counterfeits are codes that are put on the chips when they're manufactured. Now, they weren't put there to identify counterfeits. They were put there for quality control because they identify what factory that chip was made at, what date it was made, and what lot number. The reason for that is if in a very unlikely circumstance, circumstance, the chip fails, we can go back and see did we make an error in production. That, again, quality across the line, Lisa talked about um, but fortunately, so far, knock on wood, the counterfeiters don't know those numbers because we keep them in very secure, separate servers. I mean, uh, Intel alone, I think, has four different servers. And so we can, we can quickly look at those numbers and determine whether a chip is an authentic chip or not. So for years, what customs would do is when they suspected a shipment, you know, like a, a shipment of high-value chips in a baggie. That might be a giveaway. There's something wrong going on here. They, they would take <laughs> a pic- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's true. I mean, it's unbelievable. Or the, or the name of the semiconductor company misspelled on the packing label, you know, things like that. Right. They would take a picture, a digital picture of the surface of the chip, email it to us, and often within an hour or two, we could get back to them, or hopefully within the same shift, very quickly saying... Uh, oh, seize that puppy, it's counterfeit, or we can't determine it's a counterfeit, release it. That's what customers right. do. They, they detain a product, they work to see if they can identify if it's counterfeit. If it's counterfeit, they seize it, and there's a whole process there. If it's not, they release it. Now, when they seize it, they give us a whole bunch more of information. Um, who is the importer, who is the exporter, etc. We used our own security people to go find the brokers who were selling them into the military and civilian applications. And there was one, and then when we got that, that material together, we'd give it to the U.S. attorney here in the District of Columbia, who my hat goes off to. They've been really very helpful in this. And they would then go to NCIS, the real NCIS, not the TV people, the Navy Criminal Investigative Service, who would go down to, in this case, to Florida, to this company called Vision Tech, and pretend they were government contractors, buy chips they said they needed for critical applications, 
have us test them. When they're counterfeit, we'd go on a raid. Well, they don't like the word raid. They like enforcement action. We'd go right. down there with our, with our portable computers and, in the, and it helped them identify the counterfeits. In this one company's case, 95% of their stock were counterfeit chips. And 5%, I'll tell you in a while what we think we use those, what they use those for. But let me tell you some of the applications they went into. There's a system on naval vessels called IFF, Identification Friend or Foe. So if all of a sudden, several miles out, there's a fast approaching aircraft target, you ping the system with the IFF. It tells you whether it's a friendly, a neutral, or an enemy. If that system goes out, you're effectively blind, and you either have to chance shooting down a friendly, or if you do nothing, you might get a missile in your smokestack. Hostile tracking radar for the F-16 to keep track of hostiles. The Cobra Judy anti-ballistic missile radar. Forward-looking infrared systems for Nighthawk helicopters are guarding our ships at night using infrared. You can imagine a speeding suicide boat is headed for a carrier. The chopper goes up, gets it on its IFR, targets it, and then the IFR dies. I mean, these are these are critical tools. But the one that kind of hit me very hard was a situation where a subcontractor in New York for civilian products asked Vision Tech to give them 13 sample-specific Motorola chips for a life-critical application. Well, guess what? I guess out of the 5% of their stock, they found 13 Motorola real chips, sent them up, they tested them, they worked, they said, send us the rest. The rest of the 2,000 were all counterfeits, and they were going into controllers for high-speed trains. Oh, my so, goodness. Well, and we've, we, we think, we hope that we found them all, but we found little... I mean, they, they counterfeit everything. Little voltage regulators, semiconductor voltage regulators that deploy your airbags, airbags and automatic braking system. We hope we got them all. But this, so this we, is insidious and dangerous. The automotive industry just had a, a recall on that, didn't they, for airbags? Yeah, I don't know that it ha- that, Oh, that was actually counter, literally counterfeit airbags. That actually just, manufactured counterfeit. In, those case, in that case, manufactured, not recycled. Uh-huh. Right. But, uh, I hate to use the word recycle with, with what's going on there, but, but uh, no, th- those were, and that's, they will get later to our solution, which in, it also encompasses that problem. Okay. But as I said, what, so what's the problem? Why are you complaining, Jim? Well, the problem is that, as I mentioned, for a long time, customs would routinely send us these pictures. Um, what we didn't know was that was not making the Department of Treasury happy. They have to understand that even though everything in terms of enforcement after 9-11 was transferred from Treasury to Department of Homeland Security, like Customs Service, Border Patrol, ICE, um, and, of course, Secret Service, all went to DHS. But Treasury kept a little piece of the law which had to do with identification of counterfeits. And so it doesn't make sense until I finish the story. So I'd rather okay. leave you in suspense, Dan. Yes. <laughs> so in the summer of 2008, all of a sudden, we got pictures of the chips with our codes whited out, just our trademark. And all we could say is somebody did a good job of printing our trademark. Could have been us. Could have been a counterfeiter. They do very nice work with the lasers there in China. Um, and so... That's when I got involved in 2008 and tried to find out what was going on. Why was this happening, this craziness? So what the first story I got was that, oh, 
we had to advise the port officers to stop because giving you pictures of what are purportedly your own codes violates the Trade Secrets Act, which forbids a government official to reveal confidential information without authorization under the law. Now, a couple things about that. First of all, that was done because in the early days, local revenue agents would disclose people's tax returns. I mean, you don't want your tax return on the front page of the Wall Street Journal, right? Right. So that was why that law was enacted. First of all, the Supreme Court said the information has to be confidential. Anyone can see this information. It's on the product label on the outside of the box. I mean, it's not confidential. Second, if it's confidential, whose is it? It's either ours, because we put it on there, or it's a crime. <laughs> and as one of my one of my colleagues said, you know what this is like? This is like the, the policeman sees someone running down the street with a purse, right? A man, right? <laughs> and stops him and arrests him for snatching the purse. Well, the law says you can't show the owner of that purse that purse to determine whether a crime has occurred. This is just absurd. All right. So it, it, you know, we we strongly disagreed with this interpretation of the law, and. But, you know, we, we, had, we were fighting Treasury, and they're a very powerful entity. So we fortunately had the armed, Senate Armed Services Committee investigators look, and they found thousands of counterfeits in a lot of critical military applications. They did an amazing job of investigating, which right. got the chairman of the committee, Mr. Levin, and his ranking member, Mr. McCain, as you can understand, ex-Navy pilot, very upset. And they said, fix this problem. So they were going to authorize them by law. Unfortunately, in the, with the best of intentions, they didn't say the customs officers must disclose this information. They said they may. And customs continued to redact this information. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're still fighting this. Um, I don't know how much time we have to go into it, but we have a bill in the hopper by Congressman, or he likes to be called Judge Poe from Texas, and Congresswoman Zoe Lofgren from California, the two most disparate people politically you can imagine are the sponsors of our bill. And we have a lot of powerful people on the bill. We're hoping to get it through. But we finally found out what the real issue was here, and it's an interesting issue. Treasury believes that encouraging the gray market is important. Now, the gray market or the parallel market is where, for example, somebody, a distributor of Omega watches in Italy has too right. many of them. Right. So they call Costco and they say, don't tell anybody, but would you like 100,000 Omega watches at our cost? They're real watches. They're not counterfeit. And Costco goes, yeah, <laughs> of course I would, because they like to sell things cheaply. Right. So the Italian distributor ships it. It hits customs, and customs goes, wait a minute, Omega's in Switzerland. Why is it coming out of Italy? They take a picture of the tag. They send it to Omega. Omega goes, well, you've got to release it. Those are legitimate. But then they call you know, Stan's distributor in Italy and say, Stan, do you want to keep your Omega contract? Or they may just terminate you. All right. The, the Treasury believes the gray market is important. I, you know, I don't want to take a position on that, frankly. Uh, that's not our interest because you don't go to Walmart or Costco and see a bin of gray market Intel chips on sale. All right. All right. We're, we're not part of that. Um, so what the bill did was to limit this mandatory disclosure to just three categories of equipment. Aircraft parts, 
Again, you don't see a GE CFM engine sitting in Costco, and you certainly, you know, you certainly don't want a counterfeit. I certainly, I certainly hope not. No, I hope not too. It'd take up a lot of room. No more room for the delicious fish. Um, sec- secondly, was automotive parts again, fake air, right. you know, fake airbags. I mean, please, and and finally, semiconductors. Um, right. The bill's been introduced. As I said, we have a lot of sponsors, but we need to get it through Congress. And, of course, the problem is getting airtime in Congress, as you can imagine right now, or even this whole year has been impossible. Um, there's, a, you know, measuring by amount of legislation passed. The last session of Congress was the worst. This session is going to probably beat that in terms of the least amount of legislation enacted. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is, it's a difficult problem. I've spoken to a lot of customs officers in the field, and they're wonderful. These, these are dedicated people, by and large, who really want to do their job. And I don't want to identify any of them who said this. Right. No. But <laughs> when I, when they knew all about our bill when I met with a bunch of them out in California. Met, they said, God bless you. We want to do this. It, it was working before. Um, so we, we hope we can get this legislation passed. And again, as I said, it's a multi-level effort, so I know we need to wrap up. The The... Identification and seizure at the border is not going to stop all counterfeits because, as Stan said, there's a million of them coming in a year. But, A, we stop some, raise the price of bringing them in. B, we identify who are the bad guys in the United States selling these products. Because, again, it's, you know, it's, it's a crime which makes a lot of money. This guy in Florida I know, had $14 million and safer than dealing in drugs. So we need to make a price That's- for that and stop these people. That that is the perhaps the one one of the things that really astounds me is that drug dealers are moving to counterfeiting because it makes more money. Absolutely, and it's safer. And it is at least at the moment there aren't gun battles over (laughs) territory for chips. Well, it, it does intrigue me. Uh, we we do have a little bit of time, not too much left, but it does uh, bring up the issue or the. Part of the reason for this very radio show is the Counterfeit Avoidance Mark Alliance. And just to update you, if you're not familiar with what we're doing there, Jim, we have started a program where we've got a a collection of industry coming together. We've reached out, and currently the country of Taiwan, although it's not recognized as a country, but the, the folks in Taiwan in industry, have expressed and are in the process of setting up an affiliate uh, CAMA program. We've also talked with folks in Australia, and they're doing the same thing. And for those that are, of you know, naysayers or not believers, industry in China is also starting to look at this as an issue because they are finding that it's not just exports that get our the counterfeit. No, they've, they've had... Specific problems in China. So one, if you got a minute, that just amazes me. I don't know if you know what fly ash is, Stan. Fly ash is the stuff you scrape off of out of power plant chimneys when they burn coal. Ah, uh, yes, yes. But it's turned out that if you put that into concrete when you're mixing it, it makes it stronger. Well, their new high-speed rail system, the concrete is crumbling. This stuff doesn't cost but pennies a ton, and the contractor put in fake fly ash. Oh, my goodness. So the Chinese are starting, I think, both from the point of view of domestic industries, but we've had some discussions. A group of our people went over there, and they're beginning to see the health and safety problems. 
And they're embarrassed by those. I don't know if you remember right. the dog food melamine scandal and the yes. baby food. So, and I think they strung a few people up for that. So I think the Chinese, are, as they're developing more industries, you said, and also as they're realizing the health and safety problems, I think they're, they're starting to come around. I think it's a long haul, but I'm, I'm mildly optimistic. Okay. Well, Jim, I want to take a, just a couple of seconds here as we get ready to wrap up our day on, on the air. And thank you ex- very, very much for joining me. And uh, would like to extend an offer to have you come back and talk some more with us. Well, it's been a pleasure, Stan, and I'd be delighted to come back. Uh, thank you. Uh, a couple of notes here as, as we wrap up. Uh, again, if you're doing anything that requires uh, counterfeit legal per, uh, support, ThompsonCoburn.com. Uh, go to that website. You'll find James there, James Berger. Uh, if you're doing anything or you want to know more about the certification programs that are in place, by all means, TUV Rhineland, TUV.com. And HSF.us, hazardous substance free.us. That is the site you want to start looking at. That's where we're going to start listing those products by manufacturer that have demonstrated their conformity to hazardous substance-free. Least I not forget, counterfeitavoidance.org. By all means, that's CAMA. It's also where we're going to be uh, maintaining a repository uh, quarantine for hazardous substance, I'm sorry, for counterfeit uh, products that are found in the supply chain uh, will be... That website will be your place, your source of excellent information there. My name again is Stan Salat, Jr. I'm your host of People to People, working together for your safety. We're trying to develop and create a a more safe uh, environment for all of us, a place where you can uh, count on finding labels that tell you that you're buying products that you can have confidence in. Thank you very much, one and all, and we look forward to seeing you next Tuesday right here on Voice America, our same time, 2 p.m. Thank you for listening. Please join host Stan Salat, Jr. for next week's edition of People to People, Working for Your Safety. We'll have another show next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a safe, toxic, and counterfeit-free week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 